Let's pray. Father, we were created for that purpose. Not just to come on a Sunday morning and a Wednesday night and sing to you from our heart. But you created us. You redeemed us with the precious blood of your son that we might live a life of worship. That our hearts would be fully given over to you. That we would learn to live in undistracted devotion to Christ our Lord and King. And so tonight we come by faith in him and in our union with him. Clothed in him we come tonight not just to attend a service, not just to attend a teaching, but we come to commune with you and to allow your precious Holy Spirit to speak with us. Father, you are a God who speaks. You are not like the idols that others worship, that have no eyes to see and no ears to hear and no mouth to speak. But you are the true and the living God, And you live right here with us. You live in us through the Holy Spirit. And so we ask you tonight to help us to remove every obstacle. To let go of the affairs of this day. Whether it was a wonderful day full of victories or whether it was a a very difficult, challenging day. Full of discouragement. Whatever it was, we let it go right now. And we just come to be with you and trust the precious Holy Spirit who lives in us tonight to open the eyes of our understanding that we might truly see the hope of your calling for our life that's in Christ Jesus. We ask you to strengthen us tonight with might by your spirit in our inner man that Christ may actually dwell in our hearts by faith and that being rooted and grounded in love, we may come to know together with all the saints the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that passes all understanding that we may be filled up together with all of the fullness of God unto him who's able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think according to your spirit who works in us. Be glory in your church for all generations. Father, we just pray tonight that your spirit who is the teacher would instruct us tonight and give us understanding with how you've made us and how you want us to think. Thank you that you give us victory over the bondages in our life. And we thank you for these things in advance. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Well, for those of you that were, have been here on Sundays, we had a series we began a few weeks ago. On, it's a series that, uh, of a class I used to teach in the School of Ministry here. I was just thinking during praise and worship, I wrote this almost 25 years ago. And, um, and I've taught it periodically on, on Wednesday nights, and I just started, felt to start it this year, uh, a, few, a month or so ago on Sunday mornings, and then I felt the Lord to direct me to move it to Wednesday nights because there's some other things we need to do on Sunday mornings. And generally the Wednesday night crowd are the, are the crowd that's hungry. <laughs> They're the ones that want to learn. And, and, and to be frank with you, I'll always try to be honest, but to be frank with you, 
I, I, I believe this is what God told me to do, but it also doesn't hurt to try to draw some of those Sunday morning people into Wednesday night because there's good things that happen here on Wednesday night. Amen. So we're, we're, we're doing this course on renewing the mind, and we're about halfway through it. We really kind of spent four or five, actually this is the sixth lesson, we spent five lessons really laying a groundwork because a lot of the teachings that I've seen on renewing the mind jump right into renewing your mind. But we began by looking at, a, a, and maybe it's part of my, my training as a lawyer, we went back and looked at the foundation of how did God design us? How did God make us? And where does our mind fit in with this process? So if you would put Romans 12 up there, please. This is our foundational scripture. <clears throat> of course, Romans 12, 1 says, Paul has just finished we spent a whole session on this. Paul has just finished 11 chapters extolling the mercy of God, the grace of God, what God has done for us in Christ. 11 chapters just pouring this out on the Roman believers, people he had never met yet. And now he turns to what we are to do, and he says, I beseech you therefore by the mercies of God. So he's referring back to 11 chapters where he has described this mercy. And he says, because of this mercy, I beseech you to do two things. First of all, you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is holy and acceptable God, and it's your reasonable service. It's what you ought to do in light of what God's done for you. But chapter verse 2 is where we've been headed. And he tells you one thing to not do and one thing to do. Do not be conformed to this world. And what we've explained is this word conformed is a Greek word that means to take a mold, something to pressure from the outside. And like when they would mint a coin, they would take a, a, a whatever, the copper, whatever it was, I guess pennies used to be copper, and then they would take this mold and press it down on the outside, and that mold, because of the pressure, would change the outward appearance of that piece of metal. That's what that word means. And what he's telling us is not to let the world do that to us. Because the pressures that are in that world that are increasing almost every day are all intended and designed to take to make you look on the outside just like the rest of the world. As I've told you many times, Satan could not stop God changing you on the inside. So the next best thing he can try to do is to keep that change that God brought on the inside from touching anybody else. So by making you look like everybody else instead of who you really are on the inside. That's what we're to not allow the world to do. And if God tells us not to do it, that means it's possible for us to not do it. But what are we to do? We're to be transformed by the renewing of the mind. The word transformed is a Greek word that has a very different meaning. It means to take the essence of who you are on the inside and bring them to the outside so that it can be seen and can be revealed. It's the same word that's used when Jesus goes to the Mount of Transfiguration, where he walks up on this mountain with those three disciples, goes off in a distance, and the Bible says he was, his body was transformed, and he begins to glow in, his, in the glory that is really his essence and that and peter wants to make a church out of it and but but my point who he really was on the inside now suddenly showed up on the outside and that's what that word says we're to do who you really are on the inside god's called us through this process to bring it to the outside so that it can have an influence on the world that's around us but be transformed but how is it by the renewing of your mind. It, prayer is part of it. Fasting may be part of it. 
Bible study, those are all elements of it, but they must involve the renewing of your mind because that's what Paul says. Why? So that you may prove something. We've talked about this in the beginning. That you may demonstrate something about God out into this world out there. The good, acceptable, and the perfect will of God. Why? Because when people see what God's done in you, and it begins to come outside, when the essence of Christ, when the fruit of the Spirit begins to come out of you, when Christ comes out of you, it proves what God can do with somebody like you and me. It proves what His mercy is like. So that's what this is all about. And this is why renewing the mind is so critical. So we spend time looking at at where where does your mind fit into how God designed you. And we saw that there are three parts of you. You have, a, you have the, a, a physical part, which comes from this physical material realm. It's called your earth suit. But the real you is a spirit being on the inside. So part of you is from the spirit realm, and the spirit realm is a realm that's real. It exists, but you cannot detect it with your five senses. And your body is as of this natural material realm, which is the realm God created in Genesis chapter 1 when he said, let there be, and it just was, and we, your body was formed of the dust of the earth. I'm not going to go back over that whole teaching. So you are a spirit. That's who you are on the inside. That spirit lives in a body. But because these two realms cannot naturally communicate with each other, there's a problem. So we'll put the first slide up. So you're, you're on the left-hand side, that's who you are, a spirit. You're, you, are, you live in a body, but that wall indicates you they cannot communicate with each other. So God gives you something else called your soul, and it is the part of you that bridges, communicates from your spirit to your body. And your soul is made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. So your mind, the part we're learning to renew, is a part of your soul. And the essence of your soul, the controlling part of your soul, is your will. And so what we've seen is, although the battlefield is your mind, the battle is for your will. We've talked about the fact that because God has designed this world in such a way that the only, the only beings that can influence this world is something that physically exists. So God, in order to express himself in this world, has to do it through a human body. Satan also can only influence this world through a human body. These spirit beings cannot influence this world aside from something supernatural. But in normal course of affairs, the only way these two spiritual forces, these two beings can bring their will to pass is through a physical human body. We use the example of when Jesus cast the demons out of the madman of Gadara. They pled to not go back into the waterless places, but they pled to go into another body, a body of pigs. Because in order to have some influence, they had to be in a body. So here's what's going on. There's a battle that's going on with you for your will. Because God needs your body, he needs your mouth, he needs your hands, he needs your body in order to express his will into the earth today. And Satan also needs your body in order to express his will in the earth today. And we're not going to teach it in this course. It's another course I teach. You're the deciding witness of whose will is going to be expressed through your life. And that's why it's important to follow God's instructions that we are transformed by the renewing of our mind because as we're transformed, God's able to express, demonstrate who he is and what he's like through you and through me and through the body of Christ together. So that's what this is all about. We laid all that foundation to prepare us for the process of discovering 
What is it to renew the mind, and why, how do we do that? So we're going to pick up on this. This is what we started on Sunday. So let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to talk about how the mind works. This is not a scientific analysis. By the way, these notes, oh, I don't think I posted them tonight. I'll post them tomorrow. You can get them online. And this gives us how the mind works. This is not a scientific, this is what the Bible says about how God designed your mind. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. So strongholds is one of these. Casting down arguments, King James says, imaginations, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And we learned on Sunday that these two verses talk about three elements, three, three elements of how your mind works. Thoughts, imaginations, and strongholds. We learned on Sunday that your mind works in patterns of thoughts. Some of our minds work in logical patterns of thoughts. I was a lawyer for over 20 years. I was a philosophy major in college. Organize, organize, logical thinking is ingrained in me. I think in outlines. As I've mentioned many times before, it doesn't help in my marriage, but it does help in what I do. It helped as a lawyer. It even helps in putting I just my te- I teach out of outlines because that's how my mind works. So I always assumed that's the only way God designed a mind to work until I had an argument with him because my wife doesn't think in those terms. And you've heard me tell the story. I said, God, she doesn't think like I do. She's just wrong. He says, but I made her that way. And I literally had this thought, why would you do that? And then I remembered who I was talking to and realized one of us is wrong and I got a pretty good idea. It's me. And then I could begin to understand something that God was trying to teach me. She thinks in patterns of thoughts, but they're not always logical. And so it would frustrate me because I would only understand things that are logical, but that doesn't mean she's wrong. You heard me say that publicly, right? Okay. (laughs) So my point is, you think in patterns of thoughts. You may not be aware of them, and we do this because God designed our minds to try to form meaning out of everything we experience. Can you put that... Next slide up. Yeah. We showed this on Sunday. So when our kids were young, I may have done, I don't think when I did, there was a little book exercise you could do called Connect the Dots. And this is an example of that. And I used this on Sunday, and I asked, anybody can figure out what is, and what is it? It's a cat. You You know that's a cat, not because of the lines that are filled in, because your mind is connecting those dots together to form an image, and you figured out what that is by putting those dots together. Now, I didn't put it up to show tonight, but Sunday I showed one where I connected these dots in order, and it very clearly looks like a cat. But then I showed another one where I connected them in order that was not according to the numbers, and it looked like a monster. And this is what happens in our mind, because you get information that comes into your mind. And your mind is taking information in all the time from your body, from your mind's own reasoning processes. When you're asleep, when you're awake, your mind is never completely still. And it's processing thousands and thousands of 
bits of information, and it's trying to form meaning out of that. And here's where the battle is. Because that can either, you can either have a, a correct image of what those dots represent, or you can have an improper image of what those dots represent. And God is trying to help you have the correct image, and Satan is trying to put those dots together in your mind to form the image that he wants. So the point is this. Your basic thing your mind works with is thoughts. Is thoughts. Thoughts are, are, some of these thoughts we have are very, very clear, and some of them are so faint you're not even aware of them, but they're still having an effect on you. And then those thoughts, when you begin to put them together in your mind, in whatever order you put them into, they begin to form an image. We've used the example before of a, of a picture in a newspaper picture. If you've ever taken a, a pic, a, one of the pictures in a newspaper and looked at it under magnifying glass, what you find out is it's made of, of hundreds of little dots. And if it's a black and white picture, these dots are in varying degrees of gray all the way up to a dark, maybe even a black. And when you put them together, you, can't, you don't notice they're dots unless you get really close up. Television screens, the old television screens, used little, little dots that illuminated and a, and a ray went back and forth at so many times per second. And, 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 and now the new ones, these LECD and ED ones and things like that, but they still use things called pixels, which are electronic little images, little dots. And so my point is, pictures, physical pictures, are made up of hundreds and hundreds of little dots that are put together in such an array that when you step back and look at it, it forms an image. And that's what thoughts do in your mind. So your mind is trying to put them together to get some kind of meaning out of it, and that meaning forms an image, and then you begin to react or respond to that image. And when that image gets embedded you so much, it becomes a stronghold. And I use the example on Sunday, if you've ever, you know, you had computers, I don't know if the new ones do this or not, but when you had the old screens, you had this thing called a screensaver that would do different things that way back and forth. And the reason it's called a screensaver is if you leave an image on there long enough, those little dots that were illuminated literally become permanently illuminated, and that image becomes burned into your screen. And a stronghold in your mind is when that image becomes part of you to the extent that you don't even go through the thought process. You, um, that you, you are controlled by that image. And when we get further on with this, we'll talk about different images. The image of who you are. Image that you have of who God is. Those are all formed by thoughts that created an image and in some cases a stronghold in your mind that you're trying to overcome. And so the process of renewing our mind especially if you have a stronghold that's controlling you, is to change that stronghold. But one of the things we'll learn is you can't get rid of the stronghold by erasing it. What you have to do is replace it with a positive stronghold. And so the way you replace it with a positive stronghold is the stronghold comes from images, so you've got to create a new image, and you create a new image by putting in new thoughts, and that has to be intentional. We talk Sunday about thoughts because it begins with thoughts. And one of the things you've got to understand is you can control your thoughts. In fact, you have a responsibility to control your thoughts. We'll see that as we get further into this. 
We use the example of, of, a, of a UPS man or some other guy coming to your door nowadays. Nowadays, man, they just drop it off and take a picture and send it to you. We, by the way, we left it there. Whatever you did with it, it's up to you. But even with that, I had a great example today. I ordered something from Amazon, and it was late, and I'm getting ready to come in, and I see the truck come by, and I walked out, and I put my hand out, and he handed it to me. And I walked in, and then I opened it up. Well, the moment I accept that from him and he punches in and accepted, whatever's in that envelope is now mine. But you have the right to reject it. You have the right to say no. If, they, if UPS shows up with a package, what most of us do is we take the package in, sign for it, bring it in, and then figure out what we got. It's too late. It's already yours. And I used the example of my, my, one of my brothers had ordered, a, uh, for some experiment he's doing, some, a bullfrog from some house like that. I think it was in Louisiana. And, and it, it came full of Louisiana bullfrogs that had been in this box for I don't know how long. And when he opened it to find out what was inside of it, he had four or five bullfrogs that were intent on one thing, not getting back in that box. And they were all over the place. And that's what happens with thoughts when you let them in. If you let them in and open the box, it's a whole lot harder to get rid of them than it was to just say no when it first arrived at your door. So we're going to talk a little bit more about some principles about, about that today. Everything that we've talked about before is a foundation about what we're going to discover. So what we're going to learn how to do is how to renew our mind. And we're going to learn to use the process of your mind that we've just studied to change the images and the strongholds <coughs> excuse me, that are affecting us. For some reason, I've got a dry throat tonight. We're going to lo- learn to change the strongholds by changing the images. And we change the image by changing the dots. And whereas you form those images and strongholds without knowing what you were doing, we're going to learn how to intentionally change our stronghold, replace our strongholds, and replace the images by intentionally choosing what thoughts we're going to put in our mind and not just take whatever happens to come. Because we're using... Now, go back to uh, Rome, uh, uh, Second Corinthians 10, verse 4. The weapons of our warfare, because you're in a war, notice this, because it can be overwhelming. Well, some of these I've lived with all my life. Do I have to wait another 30 years to change it? No. Why? Because the weapons we're going to use are not carnal, but they're mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. We're going to learn to take God's word and sow God's word into your mind. And God's word is anointed by him to transform you because your God's word is in you to reveal who you really are. Mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. The word of God is anointed by God to change you. In fact, um, I did a message a few weeks ago on Wednesday night about putting on Christ. We talked about there how to do that. Stop looking at your problems and start looking at Christ. Stop looking at what's wrong with you and start looking at Christ. We, we recognize him we, 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 with, we, with all, we all with unveiled faces. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, the last verse. We all with unveiled face are beholding as in a mirror the glory of God and being transformed. That's the same word, transformed. Transformed from one level of glory into another. 
And I taught you that the way Jesus as a man discovered he was the son of God wasn't because, I don't, this is my belief, wasn't because an angel came down. I believe he discovered who he was by reading the word. And as he read the word, that who he was resonated inside of him and he went through this same process that God's called us to go through. And that would make sense because Jesus came and did things as a man to show us what we can do as a child of God also. The second reason the word helps to do this is because it's the truth. And those images that you have in you that are, that are causing problems for you are lies. And the God's word is the truth, and the truth is more, powerful, is more powerful than the lie. We learned the principle on Sunday. I put up, we don't have it to do today, but I put up a picture of our most recent grandson, Luca, who lives in Los Angeles. And I put the picture up there, and I pointed out to you, that's not Luca. That's a picture of Luca. And that picture exists on my phone, exists on my wife's phone, it exists as the, as the, as the thing I opened my phone up to, it, exist, it existed on the screen, but my grandson was in Los Angeles. And the point is this, those images only exist in your mind. They don't have a reality, they may reflect something that's real, just like that picture reflected somebody that's real, but I can change that picture. I could mark it up. I can change you, so you can change the images in your mind because it only exists in your mind. And we know the example of a dream. A dream's so real, sometimes you wake up and your body's physically reacting to it. And once you wake up and try to explain that dream to somebody else, it just kind of evaporates. Why? Because it had no reality outside of your outside of your mind. And that's important to understand because sometimes we feel powerless. This thing is so real to me, it's, it becomes a reality to me, but it only exists between your ears. And because of that, it can, it can be changed. Okay. So what we're going to begin to do is look at what does it mean to renew the mind? Well, essentially it means to learn to change the patterns of your thoughts. The uh, best example, I, well, two examples I've used of this. One is, is I was had my teeth cleaned today and I was talking to the hygienist as much as you can with things hanging out of your mouth and going they ask you questions and then you know now I guess they can understand tongues I don't know if they have but her husband was was a, a law school professor and so she she could understand some of these discussions I was explaining to her I said in law school they don't teach you law I mean you'll get some what they teach you is how to think a certain pattern a very simple example is, and I, I never did this kind of law, but, but all I did a few cases like this. There's a kind of law called tort law, which is basically somebody did something wrong to you and you want to sue them and, and recover your damages. And so in order to recover damages, I can't just, a client comes in and says, look, Gary comes in and says, look, this person hit my car and blah, 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 blah. I want you to get back at him. Well, that's great, Gary, okay? But that judge is not going to just say, I, I like Gary, so I'm going to award Gary $500,000. I have to follow the elements. I have to prove to the judge the five elements that under the law entitle you to recover damages. So Gary comes into my office, and he's just mad at this person. And not that he, That's not what Gary would do, but it just pours this all out. And while I'm listening to Gary's story going on and on, I'm thinking in terms of these five elements. So I'm listening to all this, but my mind is looking, are these five elements there? 
Because if they're not there, he has no case. As much as somebody wronged him, as much as somebody did something he didn't like, he doesn't have a case. So I have to, I have to take all this information and restructure it, pattern my thinking according to what the law requires. There's a less academic example of that. I went into Starbucks one day, and I'm, I'm easy there. I just have tall black coffee. Just simple, to go get it like that. So I was in there, somebody was in there, and they were ordering 15 elements that was this thing was going. And I didn't understand half of them. So they left, and I said, to the, could you explain something to me? How do you get that straight? I mean, people come in, and you didn't write it down. How did you get it straight? She says, we've been trained. We've been trained that when the order comes in to listen in a certain order, and I don't remember what it was, hot or cold, size, kind of whatever, they had a pattern that they took whatever that order was, and they fit it into this pattern. That's what renewing the mind is. It's taking whatever's coming at you and learning to structure it Learning to connect the dots in an order that's consistent with this, this word. And that's what we're going to learn how to do. Let me give you an example. And this is a simple, we'll give you other examples when we go further. Suppose uh, um, um, you had a situation where you're, you're a very good friend of yours had decided, you know, you agreed you're going to go out and have lunch together. And, and they call up at the last minute. And, and they said, look, I'm sorry, something's come up. I, I, I've got this, something I've really got to take care of, and I just, I'm not going to be able to make it. And you said, well, that's fine, okay, thank you. But you made a reservation. So you go to the restaurant anyway, and you're in there, and you look off in the corner, and there's this person with somebody else. <laughs> now, now, now listen, we're going to break this down. The information that's going into your brain is simply this. I had a, a, a date with that person, and, and, and they changed that date for a good reason, they told me. And now I see that person at the same restaurant having lunch with somebody else. Those are the only facts you know. Those are the dots you have that come in. One, two, and three. But now your mind goes to work. And it starts connecting dots. And it tries to, dirt, it tries to determine, determine what this means out of those facts. And so if your mind is inclined towards jealousy, you'll begin to add information to those facts. And you'll begin to go back and remember other times. Well, you know, this person did something other. And you begin to put this case together in your mind. And now your emotions, this jealousy, begins to rise in your in your, And now it begins to form an image. And now now affects the next time you see them or you talk to them. And this happens in our mind really without our thinking about it until we've begun to understand this and we can begin to catch them. I've trained my mind. I'm far from perfect to this. I've trained my mind when I have an emotional reaction to something, why? And I'll go back and replay those thoughts that I just had and see if the connection that I've made is correct according to God's word. So let's take this, this situation. And let's apply the filter of God's word. So your first reaction is, is, is maybe just a, a negative reaction. But we learned Sunday. It's not what you see or hear that affects you. It's what you think about what you see 
we're here. And we use the example of a child, a young child, a baby that bumps his head for the first time, and they look up to you to determine what does it mean. Is this bad or not? And what your reaction tells, gives them meaning to what they just experienced. Okay. So, so we have that situation. Our, our reaction is jealousy, and if unchecked, it gets out of control, and then we affects our relationships. But what does a renewed mind do? It has those same first thoughts. That same information comes in, but, but the next thought is always, but what does God's word say? Or we can put it this way, what would Jesus do? If Jesus is living in me, and he is, and my life is surrendered to him so that Jesus lives through me, what would Jesus do? And this is what I do now. What would Jesus do in this situation? I mean, as a pastor, I get things coming at me all the time. That's why I don't do Facebook and that thought, because I, I just want to cut all those avenues off. But Satan still has ways of trying to get, get, get at me and get me stirred up. And there's one particular source of that recently that I have to fight against. And I have to fight against it. And it comes at me, and it's not even personal. It's about the church. It comes at me, and I have to, I have to purposely, when this comes, and it'll come at me at the worst times. Some information, some phone call comes at me, and my emotions try to get stirred up again, and I'll immediately go, what does God's word say? Amen. God's word, because I, 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 I go over this every morning. I set myself every morning. I abide in Christ, and Christ abides in me. I've been crucified with Christ. Therefore, and this is I go, therefore, it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. So my reaction to this situation can only be Christ's reaction to that situation. So if I'm angry and I want to strike back, that's not Christ. That's that old man, and I've died to that old man. And I literally take my mind through that process. And I've trained my mind, and I am by far not perfect at it. But that's the best example I can use right now. So it, 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 it's a lifestyle that you have to develop. It literally is training your mind to think along certain paths. But you're doing that anyway. It's just that you've not been in control of it. And for years I did that. And I would be angry, jealous, frustrated, afraid. And, I've had to, and there are areas where I'm, I'm further behind at it than this. But I know what I have to do. This is just really practical stuff tonight. So it's a lifestyle. It's a habit of learning to do it all the time. And here's the good news. The more you do it, the more those grooves get dug in your mind and more those, those lines get deeper, get stronger and bolder and bolder, and it becomes an image. And that image begins to become a stronghold and it gets to the point we're talking Sunday, it gets so strong, nothing Satan can throw at you can move you off of that image. Can move you off of that image. The other thing that's on your side is you've got God's spirit on the inside of you working on the inside of you. Because Philippians says, God is at work in you, both to will and to do his good pleasure. He just needs us to cooperate with us. It's a lifestyle. I remember. <laughs> My mother's an amazing person. She's, what, 98 now? And she's in a nursing home, and she has some issues, so she doesn't remember me. But, but she, 
our supper table conversation was correcting our grammar. If you split an infinitive, you didn't get dessert. It wasn't quite that bad. But I mean, but what it did, what it did is, is, it, is it trained me. It trained me in several ways. It trained me for my grammar, but it also trained me to think before I spoke. Because if you come out with something improper, if you split an infinitive, or if you use an adjective instead of an adverb, you are going to have that pointed out to you. So you thought before you spoke, which as a lawyer and as a pastor is a good skill to have learned. Not that I've always followed it. But my point is, this became a lifestyle for us. And that lifestyle carried over as a benefit into my life because the two professions I've had involve public speaking. And in some of the arenas I've been in where I'm speaking among very educated people. And so if I use dems and does and, and I use ain'ts and things like that, I'm not going to be able to relate to some people, not going to be able to relate to me. So God's used that training in my life. So my point is, it's a lifestyle. And so it's something you have to practice. Okay. We're going to get into um, what I call keys for renewing the mind. We're going to go through a number of these tonight. And I'm going to slide they're going to put up in a minute. Not yet. But we're, we're going to go through these. By a key, what I mean, these are principles. You can, you can put it up. These are principles that you need to keep in mind in this process that will help you. So, the first principle is this. In order to renew your mind, in order for God's word to work, you have to decide, and it's an act of your will, that God's word is the authority in your life. Now, that may seem like an easy thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, we're a word church. Of course God's word is the authority. Is it really? Is it really? When God's word commands you to forgive, and you say, yeah, but I, I, that, that's just too much. I can't forgive that person. Then is God's word really the... See, when God's word is the authority, there's no question what you're going to do. There's no question whether you can do it. Doesn't say it's not, it's, it's hard. doesn't say it's not hard. doesn't say it's not difficult. But if God's commandment is to do something, that's settled that you can do it. So anything else is an excuse Getting quiet in here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's the foundation because we're going to use God's word. This is so important. We're going to use God's word in order to overcome the strongholds in your mind about who you are in Christ. And we may, that word may be fighting childhood images that were built in you, but that word is only going to have power over in your mind to the extent that it has authority. Because your mind knows how much authority that word has over you. It's like a child. Or a little dog like we have. A child knows whether you mean what you say. So hey, Johnny, put that toy down. Johnny just keeps doing it. Why? Because Johnny knows you didn't mean it. Why? Because you've trained Johnny that you don't mean it. Because Johnny doesn't know whether you mean it or not until you teach him. So you say, Johnny, I said put that down. Johnny, I'm going to count to three. One, two, two and a quarter, 
two and a half? What? I'm pleading with Johnny to obey me. I had a great incident of this when our young twins were growing up because I was training them to, to do what I said just because I said it because that prepares them to do what God said just because God said it. And there was an example. One of them was playing outside and they had, remember the big wheels, the plastic big wheels that were so much fun to put together on Christmas Eve? And, and he's going down the driveway and the driveway had a slight hill to it, not much. And, and, and he's that high. And all he sees is where he wants to go. I'm looking on the side of the road, because I know cars come down this road. And he's going down that road, and I've forgotten which one it was. I said, stop. That was not a time to have a bit. Stop. I'm counting to three now, because if I count to three, you've been run over. Now, we can understand that when it comes to children, but God's word is like that to us. What authority does God's word have in your life? By the way, God already knows, so he won't be shocked if you find out it doesn't have the authority that you... But you need to find out, because that's a beginning place. Okay, the second key, and again, you have to... This is a lifelong process, learning these things. The word only has power in your life. The word only has power in your life to the extent that you give it authority. We we love talking about faith. This is faith, Christian center. But Jesus equated faith and authority together. Remember the centurion in in Matthew chapter 8? The centurion comes to Jesus and my servant is suffering at home terribly and Jesus says, I'll come. And the, the, the centurion does an amazing thing. He says, no. He stopped Jesus from coming to heal his servant. He says, I'm not worthy for you to come here. And he implies, and I don't need you to come. And he explains why. He says, all you got to do is say the word. Yes. And the reason I understand it is I am also a man under authority. In other words, I recognize that you're somebody under authority, and the reason I recognize you're under authority is because I'm somebody under authority. And therefore, I recognize you're in authority, so all you've got to do is say the word, exercise that authority, and my servant will be healed. I was listening to a teacher this last week, and he said, the life that you're living now is a direct result of the place God's Word has in your life. And so you can read it every day. You can go to church. You can go to Faith Christian Center. You can go to Word of Faith, whatever. You can do all that. You can read your Bible. You can memorize it from one or the other. But ultimately, what place does it have in your life? Is it just a resource you turn to for comfort? Or does it have authority? And you know it has authority when it tells you to do something you don't want to do. Remember Lafayette Scales coming to me one time and we were talking. Yes, <clears throat> a number of men will come and submit themselves under him. He said, I know they've submitted themselves under me when, they, when I tell them to do something they don't want to do and they do it. Or I tell them to not do something that they want to do and they don't do it. Because if I tell them to do something they want to do, it's just like the word of, word of God. We get so excited. That was a lot of fun, wasn't it? Excuse me. Okay, second one. Oh, by the way, that's a decision. It's not an emotion. Second thing. These are these are challenging. These are challenging 
understandings we have to make room so that God can do this in our life. Get control of your mind. <laughs> Pastor, you don't understand my mind. <laughs> you, don't, you don't understand my mind. You're telling me get control. No, I'm not telling to you. We're going to see, Paul says, taking every thought captive. Every thought. Well, I know it says that, but see there, is that word an authority to you? Or if it says take every thought captive, either he means take every thought captive, or it's a, just a good idea, or it's kind of a general sentiment, then the word is not that authority in your life. Get control of, and that's, I didn't say it's, it's like those bullfrogs all over the house, but you can do it because God has given you the equipment to do it. But if you don't think you can do it, you won't. It starts by believing, I can get control of my mind. And you don't have to control the whole thing all at once. When I was, first became a Christian as a father, and I began to talk to the Lord, and he said to me, I said, well, Lord, Father, what does it mean, what does it mean to be the head of my family? First thing he says, that means you do it first. And then I said, well, you know, am I supposed to be the authority of my family? He says, yes. He said, but I said, okay, what do I have to do? He said, it starts with the dog. The what? Now, we had a little black poodle at that time, Mandy. And Mandy was, is, was so cute, but Mandy was wild. I mean, she was cute, but she, if, if she got out of the house, you didn't know when she was going to come back. She just wanted to go play with anybody. I mean, just, just, you know. So we couldn't let Mandy out of the house unless she was on a leash. We had good friends that would come over once a week, and, and we would have a, some dinner together, and then we would, we would read the Bible and talk. We're just new Christians, fresh, and we're learning to pray together and do all this stuff. And, and it, was, uh, it was one winter night, and there, there we're all gathered around, and we're there. It's like midnight, and it's a cold outside, and Mandy's sleeping on a beanbag. Somebody remember what beanbags were? And, and, and so these friends are, are leaving. I'm saying goodnight to them. And, we're, you know, and all of a sudden, I'm about to turn in, and Mandy slips through my legs. It's midnight. It's about 20 degrees out. I've worked hard all day. It's midnight. I, I'm ready to get in that warm bed. And Mandy's, out. Mandy's been sleeping all night. And Mandy wants to play. This is my playtime. So she gets out there, and we lived <clears throat> outside of Boston at the time in this small lot, corner lot, that had a hedge. And she goes down the steps outside, and I'm, I'm, I'm already getting angry because I know she's just not going to come because I tell her to. So I go out there, and you have this, if you ever had a little, you, you want to, you don't know whether, you want to go grab them, but if you do that, they're going to run. So I'm trying to outsmart this little dog. <laughs> Didn't do well. So I go out there, and, and I said, come on, Mandy, come on, Mandy, and she's just going She's just so happy, you know. So I'm beginning to get angry, and I start to go after her, and she goes right through the hedge to the other side. So there's a hedge between us now. So I walk over to go around this way, because I can't go through the hedge, and as I get close to her, she goes back through the hedge. So I go back around this way, and she's going, and I go back over, and as soon as I get close, she goes back through the hedge, and I, this is going to go on all night. And I'm getting angry. I'm getting, and the more angry I get at her, the more she's not going to get caught. I get so angry at this point, I just go inside and I close the door. I go upstairs. I, this, I, I, this is just, God is my witness. I get into bed. I don't care if she freezes at that point. 
I'm in the bed, and I said, God, if I could just get my hands around her neck, I'd strangle her. And no sooner did I say that, she comes in and jumps up on my chest. And now God's t- he says, how can you exercise authority if your dog is out of control? So I took Mandy to obedience school and learned in the first session that it had nothing to do with Mandy's obedience. It had to do with me learning obedience because I can't teach it to her if I'm not under authority, which means I had to do what they said to do. And many of those people didn't finish the class because they didn't want to do the work that the instructor said to do. But when I finished that class and then the second class, I got her to the point where she could walk with me outside in any situation without a leash. And I got her to the point where I would got her out and she would sit. She wouldn't eat unless I told her to eat. She'd sit. And then we had a cat in the neighborhood called Daffy. Daffy was called Daffy because Daffy had one blue eye and one green eye. And Daffy loved to torment little dogs. And I had Mandy sitting there and Daffy would walk around her. And, just, and Mandy's shaking like this and looking at me for permission to be released. And she wouldn't release unless I told her. And I'm not going to tell you what I did. <laughs> but my point is, that dog had, was absolutely no control, but I learned how to get control of the dog by getting control of me. I know a situation where we were... Um, living way up northern Massachusetts. We had another church, small church at the time. And the way my, finance, the way my pay was worked, I, was, I had a, a car allowance. So in order to do that, I had to keep an accurate record of my mileage. And I wasn't too disciplined at this. And I determined, finally, I need to do this. So I had a little thing in my car, and I would write it down on the mileage whenever I made it, whenever I, before I get out of the car at night. And we were doing Bible studies all over New England. So some of these Bible studies, we were getting home like at 12 or 1 o'clock in the morning. I remember coming home one time. It had snowed. It was cold, freezing cold outside. I'm just getting in, and I made the determination. Wherever I am, when, if I forgot to fill it out, wherever I am when I remember, I'm going to stop what I'm doing, and I'm going to go fill that thing out. The next time I forgot to fill it out was this night. It was freezing. It was snowing outside, and I'm just settling into a nice warm bed, and the thought hits me, you did not put your mileage down. I'll do it in the morning. But I had said to myself, when you remember, you're going to do it then. I had to decide whether I was going to control what I did. So I made myself get out of bed, put my pants on, a coat on, and go out in that freezing weather, pull that stupid thing out, write the mileage down, put it back, and go back into bed. But I never forgot again. (laughs) Taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. All right. You can control your mind. You can get control of your mind no matter how far out of control or how long it's been because the Word of God is anointed to do that. It is a discipline. You train your mind and your mind can be trained. It's like a child or a dog. It can be trained. Okay, I've got to move along from this. Second thing part of this is, this is important to realize. This is still going to get control of your mind. You are not your mind. This is a big revelation when I saw yes. this. 
You're not your mind. That's why we spend all this time showing you what small part of you your mind is, but it's a crucial part of you. But you're not your mind. So you can tell your mind what to do. In fact, you have a responsibility to tell. I talk to my mind. You can talk to your mind. You talk to other things. Talk to your mind. Say, you're not going to do this today. I set my mind in the morning. This is what you're going to do. and, And I may get halfway through the day and have forgotten, but I start again the next day. You are not your mind. Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to control it. And the goal is to come to the place where your mind is captivated by the Word of God, that that's your immediate reaction to whatever happens. All right, the next one. This is very important. What you, this is so important. What you pay attention to becomes larger in your mind. The more you think about something, the bigger it gets in your mind. And if you've ever been on a diet, you know what I'm talking about. The more you think about what you can't do, the more you want to do it. The more you look in the mirror and look at yourself and say, oh gosh, how did I get like this? And I got to do something about it. The more you undermine your confidence to do anything about it. The more you think about something, the bigger it gets in your mind. And Satan understands that principle. Because if he can get you thinking about everything you're doing wrong, Everything you're doing. I used to spend the first 20 minutes of my prayer time years ago going over with God everything I did wrong the day before. And by the time I was finished that, I had no confidence to pray. God, I don't know why I'm still alive. (laughs) God. And I just finally, God got fed up with this and told me to just shut up and stop it. And then I began to understand this principle. The Bible doesn't tell you to do that. Hebrews 12 says that we have such a great cloud of witness. Therefore, we are to lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets us. And then he tells us how, looking unto Jesus, not looking at yourself. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. We saw before a few weeks ago about putting on Christ. We're transformed from one level of glory to another by looking in the Word of God, looking at the mirror of who we really are on the inside in that Word. So I don't go over everything. I don't think about what I'm doing wrong. I look at Christ, and I'll go at times when I get discouraged. I start, I messed up again. Up, get my mind back on Christ. The answer is to look at Him. The answer, we're transformed from one level of glory to another as we gaze on him in that mirror. I told you before that the word of God is like any other, unlike any other mirror. Every other mirror reflects back what you put in front of it. The word of God reflects back who God sees you to be, not who you see. And the more you look in that image, the more you're transformed from one level of glory to the other until First John tells us that when we see him as he is, we'll be amazed because he looks just like us because that's who you are on the inside. And remember, this is a process of changing the image of who you are to who you really are on the inside because then you'll begin to act like that on the outside, on the outside. So, and this is such an important one. What you pay attention to becomes larger in your mind. So don't look at what you're doing wrong. Look at who Christ is. He is your deliverer. The, ne- the next point. This is very important. 
in renewing your mind and overcoming things. You cannot think more than one thought at a time. That doesn't mean you can't think them in very quick order, but you can't have more than one thought in your mind at a time. So we're going to do a little exercise. I want you to close your mind, close your eyes, not your mind, your eyes. Don't go to sleep on me. And, and just silent, not out loud. Close your eyes, and I'm going to ask you to, 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 I'm going to ask you, when I say go, I'm going to ask you to, in your mind, count backwards from 100. And when I say stop, I want you to say your name out loud. Ready? Go. Stop. I didn't hear your name. Some of you don't know your names. <laughs> what happened when you said your name? What happened when you said your name? You stopped counting. You, your, your mind couldn't do both. So you can get, you can get control of your mind by putting different thoughts in. Even as to just say Jesus' name. Sometimes I get bombarded with thoughts I don't want. I used to walk around even in the office. I just, Jesus, Jesus, Lord, Jesus. I'm, I'm replacing the thoughts that Satan's trying to sow into my mind with thoughts of Christ and maybe picture him on the cross. Something to continually put in another thought to gain that control over my mind. You cannot think more than one thought at a time. And here's another principle. You have to get out of your life anything that will reinforce the old images. And this is a challenge sometimes. You've got to understand there's a battle going on in you, and you're trying to overcome images that have been in your life, in many cases, for years. It will take a determination to get rid of some of those. But you've got the Spirit of God working on the inside of you. So you, you don't want to be putting God's image on one side and the devil's image on the other. It's like turning the heat up and opening the doors. I don't wonder why it's so cold in here. You know, the all doors and windows are all open. And you would never do that because you know you're burning up energy. Well, when you do this, when you're feeding those old images, when you're feeding those old patterns, at the same time try to replace them with godly patterns, you're wearing yourself out because you're pulling your energies in different directions. And Satan's masterful at the technique of distractions. He's a master at distracting. He can distract you with good things as well as bad things. John Bevere did a great series called Good or God? Because not everything that's good is of God. There are good things that will distract you. There are good things that will wear you down. There are good things that are not vital. You ever have to go into an emergency room? What's the first thing they do? They check your reflexes? They check your hearing? No, they check your what? Your vital. Vital means what's necessary for life. Your pulse, your blood pressure, your temperature, respiration, whatever else it is. Because the most important thing is are the basic things in your life that keep your body alive, are they functioning correctly because if they're not we got to address them we don't care if you've got tinnitus in your ear we don't care if you've got a runny nose what we care about is your blood pressure we care about your temperature we care about your we care about the core things so we're going to focus in on those things and then when you know those are healthy we'll deal with other things we've got to learn to have that same attitude well what does this mean and this is the hard part there may be people in your life 
that are reinforcing these old patterns and these old images. And that doesn't mean that we're called as Christians to come out of the world. We're called as Christians to influence the world. But some people are out among people trying to influence them, and we're being more influenced by the world than we are influencing the world. Don't use that as an excuse to go hang out at the bar. Well, I'm there witnessing. Yeah, but what are you witnessing? (laughs) Now, maybe sometimes God calls somebody to do that. But you've got to know you're strong in your faith. So it may be people, it may be things that you put in your life, like television, and I'm not saying you can't ever watch television, but it comes down to this, what's distracting you? To be discerning, what's distracting you? What are you putting in? And do you really want that sown into your heart and into your life? Okay. Joel chapter 3, Joel's prophesying and he says, Beat your plowshares into swords. He's talking about being a warfare. So we're in a warfare. Bleat your plowshares into swords, your pruning hooks into spears, and let the weak say, I am strong. Focus. Focus. And the last thing is, focus your effort. And this is important. Don't try to change everything at once. Pick an area of your life that you know you struggle in. And we'll talk about some of these things as we go forward. And just work on that. Because what you learn is, the skill you learn to do that can then be applied in other areas of your life. When I was learning as a father of our household, is, is, is to come up with rules. Because if we're going to have an order in our household and rules, we need to have rules. So I came up with our commandments. And we didn't have ten of them. I forgot. We maybe had four or five of them. And I just realized, if I can get everybody, get them to obey these, then they'll learn to obey other things that they've got to do. So it had to be something that I knew I would enforce consistently and something that was reasonable. So pick something that, you, that, that you're motivated to overcome. Pick something that, 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 and just start on one thing. Don't try to change your whole life because you'll get overwhelmed and then you'll give up because that's Satan's main tactic is to get us to give up. Let's pray. Father, we've heard a lot tonight. There's a lot to take in. And we're so grateful for the Holy Spirit who lives in us because he is our teacher. And tonight, Father, we've, we've endeavored to, to put truths into our minds and into our hearts. And now we have to trust the Holy Spirit to take those truths and begin in the practical aspects of our lives to begin to open our eyes to recognize, ah, here's a situation where what I heard can be applied. Help to bring these things back to our recollection. And Father, help us to understand that you are on our side. As again, your word says, you are at work in us by your Holy Spirit, both the will, both the will, and to do your good pleasure. Teach us how to learn, how to rely on the Holy Spirit more and cooperate with him in this process and surrender the control of this to him. This is a grace that you give us and we thank you that you are so gracious. Father, we pray for everyone here tonight or that's watching online that may be struggling with a stronghold, that may be an addiction of some course, it may be pornography, it may be fear, it may be any other of the many weapons that Satan uses to bind us up and to control us. Help us 
at least to begin to recognize that these are not insurmountable obstacles, that they can be overcome by the power of your spirit and your word and by learning how to renew our mind and to change our thinking about who we are in Christ and who you are as our Father. Lord, touch our hearts tonight as we together continue this journey and this process together. And for this grace, encourage everyone here to believe that we, they can do this where they may have failed over and over again, that your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. We may have been unfaithful. We may have failed in our faith, but it's your faithfulness that we trust in. It's your faithfulness that we rely on. It's your wisdom and strength and grace. And so we learn to rest in your gracious work in us and through us that we may fulfill the call and purpose that you have for our individual lives and that you have for this body of believers here. For these things we thank you in Jesus' name.